Well, um, it has been an unprecedented year. Crazy. With all the, the... This stuff? Yeah. It's unprecedented how many times we've actually heard the word unprecedented. <laughs> Our dream vacation was canceled. You got to keep the job you don't like. You know they can see you? But let me tell you all the no's, friends. Um, no going to restaurants, no movie theaters, no movie theater popcorn, no state parks, no going to athletic events, no church services, and no... Don't say it. Don't. Hey, kids! You've got to be more careful with the toilet paper! This is all we have! All the drive-by birthday parties, graduations, <laughs> baby showers. I will say this, I thought it was a little awkward throwing out that baby shower gift into the front yard. You weren't supposed to do that. It just feels like a wasted year. I said it, I said it. Yeah, there's just all the time at home. Boom! And all the time that we were made to spend together. Hey, honey! All the heart-to-hearts. Mm. Goodness. Speaking of hearts, our son, Jason, right over there, said yes to Jesus. Right at that kitchen table. July 17th, 2020. You know, I guess it's not really wasted time because God didn't waste a moment of it. <laughs> I think I have the answer to what I'm thankful for. Yeah? Yeah. What is it? Everything. Everything. Hey, good morning. It's Pastor Rob. It is great to see you today. I got to tell you, I have a lot in common with the folks in that video. <laughs> as this year has been, I think for most of us, pretty disruptive. The scripture they reference there at the end, give thanks in everything. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. But the, the, the couple of verses before it say this, they say rejoice always, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, it may be that this year has triggered many of us to pray more, right? Uh, pray more closer to constantly than we were before in the midst of our difficulties. But finding time to rejoice, rejoicing always, and giving thanks in everything is really hard when we're facing difficulty, and this year has been particularly trying. Whether it be the virus and everything that's gone with it, or the economy and all of the difficulties, or let's not forget the wildfires out in California or the, the ones in Australia to start the year. Or, or let's, let's not forget the riots that have occurred in various cities over Black Lives Matter and other things that have gone on in our world. Let's, let's not forget 2020 just seems like it's constantly throwing punches. And most of us just kind of want it to be over. And it's hard to say, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice in the midst of all of this. And yet the scripture, in particular, this scripture says to do just that, to rejoice always, to give thanks in everything. 
I think it's important though that we draw a line here. It doesn't say give thanks for everything. It doesn't say to give thanks to God for COVID, but to be able to find a reason to rejoice in him and be thankful in him despite COVID or in the midst of COVID, that's a different call. God would never, I've heard people say over the years, you know, this bad thing that happened, you know, it was, I'm sure God had something wonderful planned for it. I don't, we serve a good God. He doesn't want evil to happen. He does not celebrate evil or immorality or injustice. He does not celebrate harm or or destruction or or painful circumstances. He doesn't harm, he does not celebrate those things. And he doesn't want you to thank him for them. But there's something powerful about thanking him in the midst of those things. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln established on the 4th Thursday of November, this holiday called Thanksgiving, where we're intended to kind of pause and remember even in the midst of our difficulties. Remember, this is in the midst of the Civil War, right? And then I'm sure he's he's watching things just fall apart around him. And, and, and by the way, the fact that he was in the midst of the Civil War and, and literally family and friends were dying all around him and his country is falling apart. Can I just tell you something? Our news media has a tendency to say that things are unprecedented. When the fact is there is nothing new under the sun. Let me turn off this phone. When the fact is there is nothing new under the sun. This, this life in this world can be a wonderful thing in so many ways, but it is not without its difficulties. And it's not without its periods of sadness and heartache and hardship. But as he writes this, he, he wants the people of the United States, this divided country in the middle of a war, to, to, be, to stop for just a moment, to pause and be thankful for what they have. But God kind of ups the ante here. He doesn't, he doesn't say it should be relegated to a day. God says thankfulness should be part of who you are. It is, it is his will, that the Greek word for will there, thylema, is, is to desire, to wish. It's his purpose, will, or intent. It's, it's, God desires us to have a life that is marked by gratitude. Nancy Lee Lee DeMoss is a better word for it. She says, Thanksgiving really should be called thanks living, a way of life, day in, day out, morning, noon, and night, continually, forever giving thanks to the Lord. And so our focus in this series over the next couple of weeks as we approach this Thanksgiving holiday is to try to remind ourselves that God is calling us to rejoice always. He is calling us to be thankful always. And how can we cultivate that? How can we cultivate that spirit that is reflective of God and who he is and what he desires for us? William Law, an 18th century theologian, said this. He says, would you know who is the greatest saint in the world? It is not he who prays most or fasts most. It is not he who gives most alms or is most eminent for temperance, chastity, or justice, but it is he who is always thankful to God, who wills everything that God wills, who receives everything as an instance of God's goodness and has a heart always ready to praise God for it. 
could you therefore work miracles. You could not do more for yourself than by this thankful spirit, for as it turns all that it touches into happiness. There's something about a thankful spirit that God is calling us to that, that reflects his light in the world in a way that is really impossible for anyone to have without him. It reminds us of what we do have rather than what we don't have because we're good at that. I mean, we are kind of by default complainers. It's just, it's just how we're wired. You know, we can find all kinds of reasons to complain. We complain even, even in the world we are in right now uh, in the United States. Honestly, if we were really to stop and think about it, we are abundantly blessed the vast, vast majority of us have food, clothing, shelter, water. We have medical care that, that is available to us, and yet we would find a way to complain about it. We would. I would call those first world problems. When the reality is that we live better right now. Our standard of living is higher right now than it any point in human history, the things that we consider to be a given because of our affluence were the things they struggled to have merely to survive. And because we are affluent, because we don't have a reason to complain about those things anymore, we find other things to complain about. It seems to be our default position. Our affluence can do that. Our pride can do that. We begin to think that we deserve certain things. And when we don't get what we deserve, we complain about it not being what it should be, about it being not fair. Can I just tell you something, a little secret? Fairness is about 100% subjective. It's totally in the eye of the beholder. There's something, there's something about that, that if we're, if we're not able to get what we think we are owed, we will find a reason to complain about it until we fall over. We'll also complain about our circumstances. In uh, the 1750s, a British naval officer named um, Phipps, Admiral Phipps, he was in a fight with the Canadian, or the French army, over Canada. And he was in the area of Quebec, and they were trying to raid a, a French fort. And the British commander of the land forces had told the naval commander, Admiral Phipps, to wait for him. Just wait for him till morning. I'll be there. He'd sent a messenger to tell him that. I'll be there in the morning. We will attack. Well, in the meantime, Admiral Phipps got bored. And what he decided he didn't, he was upset about all of a sudden, were a bunch of ugly statues in the fort that he could see from his ship through his spyglass, I would imagine. He could see them from the ship. And as time went on, he decided he was done with those things. He didn't want to have to look at them anymore. And so he immediately commanded his men to fire shells at all of those statues, to take out all of those statues. Now, mind you, the admiral had been asked to wait, to just wait just a minute, and victory was assured for him. But because he was bored, he found something to occupy his time and something, honestly, to be angry about. I think sometimes that is the outcome of some of our affluence is that we aren't busy enough trying to survive, that we find other things. <laughs> we get bored, we get in trouble, right? Our minds run. And so when morning came in this battle, 
the naval officers discovered something. They discovered they were out of ammunition and they could not support the land troops that were there to take the fort. Don't we, I think we do that with our emotions and our energies and our and in, in certain circumstances. We can be led to, to find reasons to unload, to find reasons to, to complain or be angry or point fingers or do whatever. When the fact of the matter is, God is patiently watching and waiting. He is with us. He is for us. He is guiding us through the midst of it. And all we have to do is recognize the outcome on the other side. Because when he shows up with reinforcements, we take the fort. We win the battle. We are so, so blessed in this country and in our world. Sometimes the people we hang around can cause us to move into that default complaint. We, it's, the word for it is, is commiserating. I hate that word. I can't stand that word. There are a few other words that some of our teenagers know I do not like either. Totally unrelated. But, but that word, I do not like. Break it down. Co-miserating. Getting, be, being in misery with somebody else. There's no upside to it. There's no bringing you up. There's no lifting you up. Uh, more complaining doesn't make things better. In fact, my advice would be to, to stop complaining when we are so blessed. Because the truth is, the person it affects the most is the person saying the words. If I'm complaining, honestly, the heart who's dark and fastest is my own. The, the mind who's shifted, the emotions who are triggered are my own. And I can fire myself up and get angrier and angrier and sadder and sadder and more and more upset. There's complaining. There's no upside to complaining. It's been a problem for the people of God for a very, very long time. Instead, man, I really think if we're going to develop this life-giving gratitude, right? Thanks living as Nancy Lee DeMoss said, that we have to seek reasons to celebrate, right? That's why it's the scripture says, rejoice always. Colossians 3, 16 and 17 says it differently. It says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. Give thanks to God the Father through him. I think we have to, to cultivate this, this willingness to drop to our knees and thank the Lord for everything he has bestowed upon us. Yes, food, clothing, shelter. Guess what? None of those things are a given. None of those things are things that we actually deserve so much as, as we have been graced with the ability to have. And it can be really easy the longer we have something, that's that affluence talking, to forget how blessed we are. You know, we, we discussed it in, uh, before election day. We were talking about who to vote for. And, and one of the things I said from the pulpit, I don't remember if I said it here in this venue, uh, was this, is, you know, vote your conscience. I'm going to love you tomorrow anyways. <laughs> because I really do believe that hundreds of thousands of men and women have given their lives, 
have fought in the defense of this country so that we could have the right to do that. That's not a given. In the history of the world, it is not a given that we would have access to health care. It is not a given that we have access to clothing and shelter, that we have access to largely safety and security. It's not, it's not a given that we have those things. We have to re remind ourselves of it because the longer we have it, the more we begin to think it's just something we deserve. It's our pride talking. Sometimes if you want to rekindle, right, your celebratory heart, your heart of gratitude, go stand outside, look up at the stars in the middle of the night and raise your hands and just, instead of screaming, I hate my world, scream, I love you, Lord. Scream, thank you, God. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for bringing me here to the middle of the cornfield. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to breathe in of your air and to see your stars shining in the sky. Thank you for the gorgeous sunsets and the gorgeous sunrises that we see. Thank you. Remind yourself of the beauty that is all around you each and every day because our default position is not to do that. It's to miss. Our default position is to miss all of those things. But God would ask us to rejoice in what we do have. Yes, it is a half-empty, half-full kind of thing going on here. And if we are not, if we are filled with the love of Christ, shouldn't we be not only half-full people, but shouldn't we be far beyond that? And there is a choice that we make to celebrate in everything. Again, not for it, but in it. The next thing to do, I think, is and and is is to refuse to complain even when your heart tells you to. Refuse to complain, even when your heart tells you to. In Acts chapter 25, Paul, the apostle Paul is on a journey. He, he begins, he goes to court before Agrippa, the, the king of the area of, of Jerusalem and, and the surrounding area of, of, the, of Israel. And he goes and he's not happy with how the results are going. And so he appeals to Caesar. Paul's a Roman citizen. So he has the right to go take his case before the courts in Rome. And so he appeals to that. And at, at, at the end of Acts 26, Agrippa has heard all of his arguments. And he's heard from the attorney for the prosecution, Festus. And they've, they've talked back and forth. And, 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 and he's talked with Paul too. And at the very end of Acts 26, he says this. He says, you know, if he had just not appealed to Caesar, I could set him free. Can you imagine that? Can you be imagine fighting for your life and recognizing the only reason that you're in the pickle you're in is because you did something to yourself? It might be eerily, eerily similar to holes I get myself in sometimes, but he's done it to himself. And then, then in the next chapter, you find him convicted. He's seasick. He's on a boat to Rome, and it's a slow boat to Rome, right? It's taken weeks, months to get there. And he's, they're hit by storm after storm. They're besieged. The people on the boat want to throw Paul and the other prisoners overboard, right? It's a very threatened to his life. Finally, oh, and they're not listening to him either. He's trying to tell them, just stop fighting the storm and God will get you through. And no one's listening to him. And finally, the ship is wrecked and they come ashore on the Isle of Malta. They come to shore all by themselves, not knowing where they are. 276 people 
not knowing where they are. And in the midst, in the midst of all of this, Paul says, after he said these things, he was, he was trying to tell the people that were still on board the ship to listen, to eat, to eat. You haven't eaten in 14 days. Eat, be strong, stand strong, and God will deliver us from this, right? He says, and after he had said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And after it, he broke it and began to eat. Can you imagine giving thanks in everything? Paul, you want to talk about, we have had a bad year. Paul's had a bad year to be beaten multiple times. To, be, to lose your family and friends because you've chosen to follow Jesus, to be thrown in jail, to be stuck on a boat for months, to be stuck in storms, to be crashed on an island, to be bitten by a snake, which I didn't mention but happens as well, to have all these things go wrong in Paul's life, and yet in the midst of it, he stops and he gives thanks to the Lord for what he has given them another day of life, another day of protection, another day to fulfill the mission that he has been given. You know, if, if you read Paul's stories, and by the way, Paul also wrote First Thessalonians, that's the text that we we're starting with today, that, that same man wrote those words, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. Paul knows what he's talking about. He knows how hard it is, but he also knows how necessary it is. And could it be that this man is trying to teach us something about how to endure the difficult times when they come? So often we wait to thank God after they're over, after those things are over. But shouldn't we pray to God constantly, even when all is well? Paul is reminding us that if, if we have, if we choose to, to have and cultivate this heart of gratitude towards God, that, that he returns that choice. He returns that favor we show him and it's favor he deserves and we do not. He returns it with love and care and concern and power and strength and passion. And he can carry us through so much by cultivating this heart of gratitude for what we have, by appreciating what we have instead of pining or complaining about what we don't. You know, I'm, I'm not a fan of wearing masks. I'm not a fan of being separated. I'm not a fan of many of the things that we've experienced this year. I'm certainly not a fan of losing those I love and watching others I love lose those they love as well. I'm not a fan of illness and I would never thank God for those things because he doesn't ask me to thank him for those things. But what can carry us through is to thank him in those things because he is with us any day, every day, all day. And he is continuing to provide us with so much that we take for granted. Kind of alludes to a point I just stated it a second ago. Praise God when all is well. If we're going to cultivate this thanksgiving or thanks living heart. Praise God when all is well. You know, do you do you praise him for being healthy today? Do you praise him that that someone has entered your life? It's 
it's one of those things that I know affects my relationship with my wife and my children in the seasons when I'm, I'm able to remember to pray and thank the Lord for her every morning, right? Or thank the Lord for my daughter or my son or my other son. I don't want to leave anybody out. Or to thank the Lord for my parents. If I wake up every morning and I have this long list of thank yous and I go through it every morning, I got to tell you, it changes the way my heart looks, the way I feel, the way I see them, the way I experience them. And when I don't, when I get away from it for a minute, a day or, or a week, or even months, right? It can happen. Life gets busy. Stuff gets crazy. You have a fight with your spouse. You don't want to thank God for them. And so you break the habit. It jades the way you see them. Praying for them when all is well. Praying and thanking him. Praising God for all he is when everything is well in your life. breeds a heart that is ever more contented with what it has, that is reminded of how blessed it is instead of thinking about what it would be diff- what would be different if they were writing the story. So I would encourage you to do that. Keep a journal. Get up every morning and agree and say, I'm going to thank God for three things today. The most important person in my life, the most important I don't know, job in my life or role in my life. Maybe it's father, maybe it's, maybe it's coworker, maybe it's friend. So the most important person, the most important role in your life and the most important gift he has given you in your life right now. When I say gift, I mean spiritual gift or the gift of a relationship or the gift of an opportunity to speak the gospel or the gift of words or the gift of caring for one another or the gift of shepherding or the gift of whatever talent he has given you. Thank him for that. Don't wait until things go south before you do. Because cultivating that programs our hearts. It programs our hearts to be ready for what might come knowing that in the midst of it, God remains. And if we're gonna cultivate, finally, if we're gonna cultivate this heart of gratitude and love. We've got to be good about rejoicing, rejoicing always, rejoicing in the midst of our difficulties and in our good times. Rejoice because of God's love, right? F.F. Bruce says, God bestows his blessings without discrimination. The followers of Jesus are children of God and they should manifest the family likeness of doing good to all, even to those who deserve the opposite. Because don't you know, we always deserve the opposite. And yet God has given us, given it to us. That is, that is something worth rejoicing, not just once a day or once a week or once a month, but honestly, every minute and every second that God's love has saved us from our own sins, that God's love has, has brought us salvation should we, not, should we not also rejoice in God's patience that we are able to make a mistake? We mess up. Yes, we do. None of us are perfect. And yet, yet he sticks with us. He loves us. He watches over us. We should rejoice always in the wisdom of God, the word that he's given us to learn of who he is. Oh my goodness gracious, it doesn't get any better than that. How awesome is that, that he has preserved this for thousands of years so that you and I could read it? 
so that you and I could see what cultivating a heart of gratitude does, what a difference it makes in our own lives and the lives of those we touch and how important it is to God. And finally, that we should rejoice in God's mercies. Rejoice daily in God's mercies. Alistair Begg says the mercy of God is an all-embracing mercy and it breaks down the barriers that man erects. As we close today, I just want to remind you that if, if your heart is not one of thankfulness, if your heart is, is challenged in the midst of whatever you're going through to see God, to praise God, to rejoice always, to pray constantly, to give thanks to him in everything, that we are here to help you with that. Because we serve a wonderful God who wants you to know him, who wants you to be able to grow closer and closer to him. And even if you already know him some, to recognize that if you lean in to the strength that is gained, if you lean into him in the midst of your difficulties and you choose to cultivate a heart of gratitude, you will have the capacity to endure things you never thought you could and the capacity to rejoice and bring others along with you. We pray that we are always praying that we will be a shining light in this community and in the world around us. But I like to think it begins with loving God and thanking him constantly for what he gives us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he grant you favor and be gracious to you and give you peace. Many blessings.